so today we're continuing our series called Heavenly Places, which, you know, is a sermon series dealing with the unseen realm, the spiritual realm. And uh, the Bible has a lot to say about it. And, uh, and there's an, uh, a, 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 an existence in the unseen world that, that you don't hear a lot about sometimes. But I think as believers, we have to know about that. We have to be familiar with that. Amen? And in week one, we laid the foundation talking about the reality of our God being a spirit being. He's a, he's a spiritual God. Amen? And uh, the scripture says in John 4, 24, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So God is an invisible God. He's a spiritual being. And the only way to connect with God is you got to connect with him spiritually. That's why Jesus said, um, that's why Jesus said in, in John 3, 3, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And so we have to understand the reality of that God is a spiritual being and to connect with him, you got to connect with him on spiritual terms because otherwise heavenly places is not going to make much sense to you. You know, you can't scientifically figure this stuff out. It's not going to happen. Amen. You got to have faith. You got to trust the Lord if you want the kingdom of God to begin operating in your life. So the bottom line is before you can understand or experience any spiritual realities, First of all, you must be spiritually born again. You got to be a full follower of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that's when the scales are taken off your spiritual eyes and then you can see the things that you couldn't see before. Amen. How many of you can, how many of you can, can relate to what I'm saying this morning? Amen. Before I was a Christian, I thought it was a bunch of baloney. I made fun of Christians. I laughed at them. Uh, oh, they saw the light and I thought they were just funny duds. They didn't know how to have fun. And it's because I was in darkness. And then I got saved. The lights came on and it's like, ah, now I get it. Amen. Now I get it. Now last Sunday, Pastor Kelly began unfolding one of these heaven realities and he talked about heaven. How many of you were here for that? Did he, go, did he do a great job? I mean, he sounded like John Hagee up here. Amen. I listened to it and I crossed the line. I got saved after that. Amen. I want to go to heaven. How about you? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Kelly. That was awesome. Now, today we're just going to continue in that vein. And today I want to talk about another spiritual reality. And as I look back, I hadn't talked about this subject in 16 years. And it's the subject of hell. The Bible says in Matthew 10, 28, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, Jesus is warning us that we should have a healthy fear of God who has the ability to destroy our soul, not having a, an unhealthy fear of man. They might be able to kill us physically, but they can't do anything about eternal state. Amen? Now, think about it. If Jesus walked into many churches today and he made a statement like that, he would be escorted out. And saying that, Jesus, you are quite insensitive, intolerable, hateful, unloving, narrow-minded, and you're, an, a, you're a religious extremist. Do you realize that? That if Jesus walked into many churches today and talked about hell, they would escort him out. Why is that? Why would many people have problems 
with Jesus insinuating that there's a literal hell. I think it's because many don't believe there's a literal hell. I find that people have more of a time. They, they can believe in a heaven a lot easier than they can about a hell. But the question is, is hell fact or is it fiction? Is it real or is it imaginary? Is it a heavenly reality or was Jesus just speaking figuratively? It's good questions, huh? And where do you go to get the answers to those questions? You know, if you go to humanism, they say they don't put any stock in divine or supernatural matters. If you talk to the secularists, they reject all religious conversations as unimportant and unmeaningful. Even if you talk to scientists, they know very little or nothing about death. They can't really explain what happens to people spiritually when they die. And so human experience doesn't normally reach beyond the grave. It stops short of that. Except in the case of people who've had what they call out-of-body experiences. Have you ever talked to somebody like that? You know, as I was thinking about this subject, I was thinking about whenever I was a youth pastor, and I've been on staff here almost 26 years, and so it was a few days ago. But whenever I was a youth pastor, uh, Tanya and I had one of the youth in our, in our youth group, and uh, his, dad, uh, his dad didn't care too much about spiritual things. He wasn't too much interested. And, uh, and, uh, but he was, he was very involved. His mom would come to church. His grandmother would come to church, but he didn't want to, he, he was busy. He had stuff to do. But one day there was a few youth over there at his house and he hit the floor and had a massive heart attack and died. In fact, one of our youth did CPR and kept him alive till the medics got there and he survived that heart attack. But after he went out, he had an experience that rocked his world. And I'm telling you, he decided he was going to start serving Jesus. And he started explaining what happened to him and what he saw. And this guy was a no-nonsense kind of guy. You wasn't going to talk no baloney to him, but he had an experience, amen? And listen, just hearing him talk, I decided I need to get right with God, amen? But you know, you've heard that guy, uh, pastor in Africa, and he was brought into one of uh, Reinhard Bunke's crusades. And this pastor actually died and they had embalmed him and his wife wouldn't let him go and drug him to a crusade, brought him underneath the platform where Reinhard Bunke was preaching about a million people. They prayed for him and he came back to life. And this pastor's testimony was that whenever he died, he didn't go to heaven because he wouldn't forgive his wife. He got in an argument with his wife and he wouldn't forgive his wife and everything he experienced out of his body was not heavenly at all. And then there was this guy, I don't know, you might have heard uh, Bill Wise, uh, Pastor Keller was telling him about it. He wrote the book 23 Minutes in Hell and he said he died and he went to hell. And, and, and this guy is not like a pastor or, you know, anything like that. But he remembers in vivid detail what he saw whenever he was out. And he said he saw searing flames of hell. He felt the isolation and experienced the putrid and the rotting stench of burning flesh. He heard the def deafening screams of agony and the terrorizing treatment of demons. And finally, the strong hand of God lifted him out of that. And so he said, I need to tell people about what happened to me. You know, they made a movie, uh, what's it called? Uh, um, Is Heaven for Real or something like that. And this kid, this young kid had emergency surgery. And, he, and he, while he was on the operating table, he died. And this young man came back, started talking about stuff that it was impossible that he could know. And he starts describing, that's how that whole movie came. His parents like started like, oh my goodness, this 
kid had to experience something while he was on that table that we cannot explain. Now, we can dismiss all of these human experiences as being imaginary or emotionalism, but what we're going to do with everything Jesus had to say about hell, what are we going to do with that? You either got to accept that or you got to throw the whole Bible out, amen? Because Jesus had a lot to say about hell. Jesus had more to say about hell than he did heaven. And the Bible says, and it, you know, that it, it, you know, Jesus d- described it as not an imaginary place, but something that we should be uh, very knowledgeable of and uh, be careful not to go there. Amen. And in Luke chapter two, Jesus tells the story about two men and there's a rich man that dies and goes to somewhere. And there's a poor man that dies and goes somewhere. And he describes the two men going to two different eternal destinations. And I like to read that story with you. If you have your Bible in Luke chapter 16, it's not a long story, but there's quite a bit right here in this story. In Luke chapter 16 and verse 19 is where, where we're going to pick up the story. But Jesus, as he's just teaching about the kingdom of God, he says this. Now, there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every, uh, every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores. And longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table, besides even the dogs were coming and licking his sores, Now the poor man died and he was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And by Abraham's bosom in in Jewish time, whenever, you know, like we'll say when one of our loved ones die, well, he's in, he's in heaven. He's in the presence of God. He's with the Lord. When their time, they would say he's in the garden of Eden. It was one of their phrases, or they would say he's in a glorious state. And one of the things they would say, he's in Abraham's bosom because Abraham is the father of faith. And so it says that the angels carried him away to Abraham's bosom and the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, he lifted up his eyes being in torment and he saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue. For I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that during your life, you received your good things and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he's being comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed and that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers in order that he may warn them so that they will not come also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Wow, that's a pretty powerful story. Now, from this dramatic story of these two men that Jesus tells here, who ended up in two separate eternal destinations, we can learn some facts about hell. And the first one is this. Hell is not an imaginary place, but a heavenly spiritual reality. In Luke 16, it says, The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades... 
which is another word for hell. In the, he lifted up his eyes being in torment. So according to Jesus' statement, he clearly supported the fact that there was a literal hell. If it was figuratively speaking, he would say he spoke in parables. He would have said, it's like, but he didn't say it's like. Some theologians say Jesus was the greatest hell preacher there ever was. And at least 14 distinct times, Jesus referred to and talked about a literal hell. And so the question is, why did he do that? I mean, consider the following statements Jesus made in Matthew 5, 22. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. That's not seeker sensitive stuff right there. In Matthew twenty two thirty three, 33, he says, you snakes, you broader vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? In Matthew 13, 49, this is how it will be in the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them in the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't know exactly what weeping and gnashing of teeth is, but it don't sound good. <laughs> Amen. Somebody asked me if I was red, wearing a red shirt because I was an Alabama fan. I said, no, it's because I'm preaching on hell. Maybe we should turn off the ACs and put the heaters on and put some smoke bombs and make, give us a real, the real feel this morning. Amen. But this, these are just a few sentences Jesus made about there being a literal hell. I guess the real question is, will we accept the full counsel of the Bible? Paul warns us about a time that's coming where people are going to try to make up their own gospel. They will try to, they will, they will decide who their God is and it ain't the Bible God. He said there will, there will time, there will come a time when people will start rejecting the truth of the Bible. They've evolved into a state of knowledge and understanding that they're smarter than the Bible and God. In fact, Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, 3, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and they will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. God help me not to be one of them who just tells people what their itching ears want to hear. Amen. And he says they will reject the truth and chase after myths. That's hard-hitting stuff right there, isn't it? So Jesus clearly taught that hell is not an imaginary place, but a heavenly spiritual reality. Now, here's the second fact. Hell is not an experience here on this earth. You know, you hear people say, I believe hell is what you go through in, in this, on this planet. And they describe it that, you know, hell is about problems and hardships that we go through on this earth. And you hear people say, I'm going through hell right now, meaning they're having lots of problems. Well, maybe they're having a lot of problems or a lot of hard times, but according to Jesus, that's not hell. It might feel hell-like, but it's not hell, right? Notice the difference in kinds of life, the rich man and the poor man. Verse 19, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. I mean, this guy had it made. In verse 20, at this gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The rich man lived a life of luxury and leisure. The poor man lived a life of sickness and poverty. But notice their, 
their natural life experience had nothing to do with where they ended up spiritually. It had nothing to do with their eternal destinations. In in 22, it says, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. It's interesting that he says the poor man died and he was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. But the poor man, uh, the rich man died and they buried him. Verse 23, in hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. Now, did you notice that it was not until they died that they experienced their eternal destination? Not till they died. The Bible makes it unmistakably clear, undeniably clear that hell is a place that you go, not on this earth, but after you die. Not an experience of trials and tribulations. Life might be hell-like, but life here is not hell, as the Bible describes it. Now listen, if the devil's lies and deceptions can try to make people think there is no literal hell to worry about, then he's got us just where he wants us. Are y'all hearing me out there? 2 Corinthians 4.3 says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelieving. The enemy blinds our minds and says, Oh, no, a loving God wouldn't create no hell. Wouldn't send anybody to hell. So Satan tries to build this case where we dismiss hell. Like, no, it doesn't fit in our theology. But according to Jesus, hell is not a series of bad experiences here on this earth, but it's a literal place that people go after they die. The third fact the Bible teaches us about hell is hell is an eternal place of fire and torment. Now, some people make jokes, you know, especially us Cajuns. We say, oh, you heard about Boudreaux when he died and went to heaven? He went to heaven and he started a boucherie up there. You know, and we, we make fun and we laugh. And like he's going, like he got, he's going to hell and he's just going to have this huge New Year party. This, this huge New Year's party. Well, folks, that ain't, the, that ain't what the Bible tells us. Amen. In Luke 16, 22, it says, The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham. The rich man found himself in, ha- in hell, not having a New Year party, a New Year's Eve party, but being in torment. Now, the word torment means, by analogy, it means an act of inflicting severe pain or torture. In verse 24, the rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in anguish in these flames. Now, according to Jesus, it's not a party. It's the flaming fires of torment. In Mark 9, 43, Jesus said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. You know, one of the pictures of hell is like it used to, they used to burn trash out above ground and, and they would set the trash on fire. But one of the things is the fire would never go out. There was always a fire. It was always burning. And that's the picture. And so have you ever burned yourself? Have you ever burned your little finger? 
The burn is one of the most painful injuries one could ever suffer. And he's talking about the fire never goes out. Imagine what it would be like to experience that for all of eternity. Jesus said hell is a place where the fire of torment never goes out. Oh my goodness. Remember as Bill Wise as he explained it. He said he saw searing flames and experienced the putrid smell of burning flesh. The deafening screams of agony. Folks, we need to hear this. We need to hear this. Obviously, the rich young, uh, the rich, though physically dead, his senses were not dead because he could see Abraham. He could feel the pain, desiring relief. He could recognize the comfort and benefit of, a, of cool water on his tongue. And the rich man in his torment, he cries out for mercy, but there is none. It's too late. Now listen, the fourth fact we need about hell is hell is not a temporary stop, but a final destination. It's not a temporary stop. I want you to notice the finality of these two men's eternal spiritual destinations. In verse 24, then he cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed. The great gulf is an impassable space where there's no traffic. And the purpose of the gulf is obviously to keep people in their eternal state that they end up. So hell is not like a 10-year prison sentence and then after you've served your time, you get to get out. You know, it's, you cannot be pardoned or paroled or given a new trial and, and, and have the chance of being found not guilty. See, hell is not a place that loved ones can rescue you from or people can pray you out of. The Lord says, there is a great gulf fixed. It's a final and eternal place. It's not a temporary stop, but a final destination. Now, the fifth fact about hell is that people who end up there wish they could go and warn their family and friends not to join them. And, and this is what the story tells us. No, listen, nobody who ends up in hell wants anybody of their friends to go there and meet them. And that's what he says. In verse 27, he says, the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's house or to my father's home. First, he prays that the Lord would comfort him and then there's no response. So he says, okay, would you help my family out? In verse 28, for I have five brothers and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. And so the rich man is wishing that his brothers who were alive should be warned about, the, about this place that he's at. And Abraham replies, your five brothers have been sufficiently warned. And he says, listen, they have the law. They have the scripture to see. The prophets have told them. The problem is they won't listen. And he says, yeah, but if somebody from, if somebody that died and experiences goes back and tells them about it, then certainly they will listen then. And he said, no, they won't even listen then. See, the problem is they wouldn't heed the warning. And so Luke 16, 29, Abraham said, or verse 31 
But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen even if someone rises from the dead. So here's the point. Nobody in hell wants their family and friends to come there. Nobody wants somebody to join them there. It's not a New Year's Eve party. Jesus explains it as a place nobody wants to go. Amen? And then now the sixth and final fact about hell is this. Nobody has to go to hell. That's the great thing. Nobody has to go. Amen? You know, how many of you know hell wasn't created for us? It was created for Satan and demons. Amen? And the Bible says people often ask, how can a loving God even permit such a place as hell to exist? Let alone send people there. And, and by in asking the question, they reveal that they don't even understand either the love of God or the wickedness of sin. They don't understand the gospel. And so in 2 Peter 3, 9, it, the Bible says that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. How many of you know the Lord doesn't want anybody to go to hell? I mean, he didn't create that place for anybody, amen? He don't want anybody. How can a loving God want anybody to go there? God doesn't want anybody to perish and go to hell. He doesn't want anybody to go to an eternal place of torment. He doesn't send people to hell. They send themselves to hell by refusing to accept the gospel, refusing to accept his, his opportunity to get out of there, amen? And even the rich man, he knew why he was damned to hell. He knew why he ended up there. And, and the scripture tells us in verse 30, but he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He's like, go tell them to repent. He, he knew what they needed to do. He knew why he was there. By making that statement, the rich man acknowledged that he knew the way to get out of there. Amen? And that's the good news. He knew that... that um, what would keep his brothers from going there is just to repent and to turn to God. What keeps us from going there? Same thing. By repenting and turning to God. You know, if you, um, in Luke 5, 29, let me just read this passage. It says, And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house, and there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes begin grumbling at, at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, It's not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. And then notice the next verse. He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but to... I have come to call sinners to repentance. So if you understand the gospel, you know this. That's why Jesus died. He died to save us. He died to rescue us. He died so we didn't have to pay the penalty of any of our sins. He said, look, I'm going to take, I'm going to take the payment that you deserve upon myself so you don't have to have any payment and you can get scot-free. Amen. You can get out scot-free. Amen. That's why Jesus was nailed on the cross. That's why he shed his innocent blood was for this reason right here. So we don't have to go there. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. Repentance don't stop you from dying, but it keeps you out of hell. Amen. Amen. Isn't that great news? Now, there are two components to repentance, godly repentance, 
There's, there's worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. But repentance is the acknowledgement of having broken God's laws. How many of you know you've sinned before? Let me see your hands. You know that you've sinned at least once or a hundred times. Let me see your hands. We've all sinned. That's what the Bible says, right? And so the first part of repentance is, listen, acknowledging that, listen, you're not as good as you think you are. You're not as perfect as you think you are. Even your best intentions, there's probably an evil motive lying below that. Jesus, I mean, not Jesus, but the scripture says that even our best acts of righteousness, our best good deeds in God's sight, they're like filth, right? But the other part is repentance is being willing to turn away from your sinful ways and turn to God. You know, people can make incredible strides in their family life, like in their character and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to quit doing this and I'm going to quit doing that. And, I'm, you know, I'm not going to start beating. I'm going to quit beating people up and I'm going to stop robbing and stealing and I'm going to stop doing all these evil, these wicked things. And they can do pretty good. But listen, the best that you can do is pretty good. And the only thing that can help you get free and covered from your evil ways is through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It's to turn to the Lord and let his power presence come upon you and empower you to live the righteous and godly life. Amen. Amen. If we could have did it on the, on our own, then Jesus wouldn't have had to die. Amen. And so listen, we gotta, you know, we gotta be, we gotta be convinced that we are not that good, that we don't break God's law. And then we gotta be convinced that we need God. We need his forgiveness. Amen. Now, why do we need to know about hell? Why in the world would Todd want to teach on hell on Sunday morning? Well, I want to be like Jesus, and Jesus did it. Right? But why did he do it? There's three reasons why we need to know about hell, I think. And the first one is this, so we can have a better appreciation for Jesus and for our salvation. Amen? Come on, how many of you glad just hearing about that torment and all that? Uh, uh, praise the Lord, amen? That ain't scaring me right now because I have, I have total faith and confidence that the Lord has paid my sins, debt, and I get to go to heaven, amen? I'm, I'm going to pass right by that door, and I'm going to the pearly door, amen? The pearly gate door. Come on, are y'all with me? If you're saved, if you're born again, man, you should get excited about that, amen? You should get really crazy about that because, man, you've been saved. You've been spared. You've been delivered. Amen. Who praise the Lord. How many of you glad to be saved? See, sometimes we forget. But, you know, sometimes we need to be motivated and hell is a motivation to live for Jesus. Amen. Come on. How many of you know a red hot round thing on the stove is motivation not to touch it right there, right? And so listen, the Lord, you know, I think he teaches it because he wants us to know, man, do you realize what I did for you? Do you realize what I did for you? Because sometimes I think my little pea brain don't really get it. I don't really understand it. But just looking at this, studying this, it's like, oh man, I want to dance. Come on, can we sing some more worship songs? I want to dance. I want to shout. Amen, because he saved my life. Amen. Come on, if the Lord wouldn't have saved me, oh, my Lord, it wouldn't be good. Amen. But thank God he saved me. Are you glad he saved you? Come on, are you really glad he saved you? Well, come on, give him a little bit of praise right now. Amen. Amen. But here's the other thing is that it helps us walk in holiness by walking in the fear of the Lord. 
Remember Jesus said, remember in Matthew 10, 28, he said, don't fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Now, we are not to fear God like, oh, I'm afraid, like if I come close to him, he's going to, you know, bite my head off or he's going to, you know, damn me. But it's just having a healthy fear of God, a healthy fear and respect for God. And he says, listen, some people, they are not serving God because they are afraid of what other people think. He says, don't be afraid of what other people think. Don't let people's opinion dictate your life. And you're talking about the creator of the universe. Let everybody turn against you as long as God hasn't turned against you. You are going to be okay. I promise you, you're going to be all right. Amen. Amen. And so listen, teaching about this helps us to realize why we're serving the Lord. Listen, the reality, it's tempting out there to just go, you know, just go get a, you know, just go get a feel of the world sometimes. Right? Don't look too spot pious and righteous in you. Come on, I know, right? Because we all got that on the inside. Sometimes we just want to take somebody's head off and just repent later. <laughs> Amen? Come on. Sometimes we just want to go out and get stumbling drunk because we're so stressed out and we say, Lord, I'm going to get right with you later. I'm just right now. I just want to go tear something up. Amen. But look, whenever we realize, hey, I don't want to look trumpet to sound while I'm tearing somebody's head off. I need to walk in godliness and righteousness. Hey, I want to I walk in the fear of the Lord. It's clean. It's wisdom. It'll help me live a prosperous and a great life. Amen. That's one of the reasons why we need to be reminded of this. It helps us to live on the straight and narrow. Amen. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord today? Amen. Amen. But here's the third thing. Here's the third thing. It helps us to get motivated to evangelize and share Christ with others. It should, right? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Man, if we really truly grasp what's in the balance of every soul, it should motivate us to persuade men. It should motivate us to look and see eternity in the eyes of every person that we see. Are y'all with me? And so we should be willing to do whatever it takes not to be a stumbling block for the gospel, but to be a bridge for the gospel. Amen? You know, some people have these arguments about what you can or you can't do as a Christian. Listen, that's really not the question. The question is, what can I do to persuade men to come into the kingdom of God? If heaven and hell is real, that's really the bottom line. Isn't it, saints? That's really the bottom line. So hearing about hell should do those three things. It should help us appreciate our salvation it should help us to walk in the fear of God. But number three, it should help us to get motivated to love people and to share Christ wherever we go. Amen. Would you do me a favor and just stand with me this morning?
I don't know where you are today, but everyone in this room, can I just persuade you, if you haven't already done it, you should repent of your sins and turn to God. Repent of your sins and turn to God. Repent of your sins and turn to God. You must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. You must cross the line. You must give your heart and your life to Christ. It doesn't matter your mom and dad are Christians. What about you? It doesn't matter if your friends are Christians. What about you? I don't, yeah, listen, some demonic deacon might have hurt you, but listen, you need to get right with God and serve him. Don't let that demonic deacon send you to a place you don't want to go. Amen. Come on, are y'all with me? We need to just give our lives to Christ. I want to close by just telling you the story. I was reminded of it this morning as I was just coming to the end of this message. And I just feel just a great soberness in my heart today because it's such a sober subject. And I'm trying to make it light, but it's really not light. It's really serious. One day, Tanya and I, or Olivia and I were working in the yard. Some of you have heard this story. And we heard this crash and we looked over our shoulder And then we live on a corner here, Landry and Fields being in a car, wrecked and hit the culvert. And the car was flying in the air when Olivia and I saw it. And it landed on its roof in the ditch. So I told Olivia, Olivia, go tell mom to call 911. And I ran towards the car. And a neighbor ran, a big old burly guy ran and met me there. And we started looking around the car, and there was only one passenger. She was in the driver's seat. The car was upside down. We came to the window. She had this terrified look on her face. And she said, please help me get out. Please help me get out. We tried opening the door. We tried getting in, but we couldn't. After a while, we started realizing that there was, this car was smoking, and, the, and it was starting to catch on the fire. And then we realized this car could burn up. And so we got to get her out. And we started pulling and pulling. We tried breaking the window. And somebody passed by with a fire extinguisher, turned the fire out. And we told her, grab the handle. She grabbed the handle, the door opened up. She got out without a scratch. But later on, I was thinking about that. And the Lord told me, Todd, what you're doing is you're rescuing people from a spiritual fire, from a car on fire. So never be ashamed. Never be bashful. Don't let anybody talk you out of it. Preach the gospel because you're rescuing people. And the Bible says, convince as many as you can, and some snatch them out of the fire. Would you bow your head with me right now? If you're here today and you say, Todd, I've never repented of my sin. I've never asked Jesus to forgive me and turn to God. And I want to do it this morning. Would you just lift your hand so I can see your hand? And I want to pray a prayer with you. You need to acknowledge your need for Christ. Just acknowledge it by just raising your hand. Here's your opportunity. Here's your opportunity. Just raise it high so I can see it. And I want to pray for you. Okay. I see your hand. Anybody else? Don't be ashamed. Don't be bad. Don't let the fear of man talk you out of it. Just right here, right now. Let's pray together. Would you Pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I know that I've sinned and I need forgiveness. And I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to cleanse my heart. Lord Jesus, I want to turn to you. I need your help. I want you to be my Lord 
and my Savior. And so today, I surrender my life to you. Help me, Jesus, to live for you, to serve you with everything in my being. Lord, so that I can live my life in a way that allows me to experience heaven's eternal destination. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen and amen. Now, if you pray that prayer, there's a, there's a card in your pew, a green one that says, I've made a decision. I encourage you to grab that card, fill it out, come up here, tell one of the pastors you prayed that prayer, go to the info, info center in the lobby, let them know you prayed that prayer. We have a Bible for you if you need one. We just want to give you some instructions. This is the biggest decision that anybody could ever make in their life. Amen. Now listen, for the rest of us that are already saved, how about we live in the fear of the Lord and how about we start looking at eternity in the eyes of everybody that we see, amen? And let's do everything we can to not be a stumbling block or a roadblock for people coming to Christ, but how about we live our lives to try to be a bridge that helps people want to know Jesus better because they see the love of Jesus in our lives, amen? Is that all right? Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus that you would release your grace over this congregation. Lord, may you just help us to continue to share and to share the love of Jesus wherever we go. Lord, help us to live in the fear of the Lord, walking on the straight and narrow. I pray in the mighty and the strong name of Jesus and everybody in agreement said amen and amen and amen. All right, we can turn the AC back on now. No, just kidding. God bless you. We'll be up here if you need prayer. If not, have a great day. You're dismissed.